I remember meeting somebody one time, and uh, this sometimes happens where I'll have conversations with people and they don't know that I'm a minister. And then partway through the conversation, they find out I'm a minister. And the conversation usually goes, well, either the conversation ends at that point, um, or they start having questions about things. There's very few people who will say, usually it's people who are committed Christians who are in other churches who will then suddenly say, it, it really impacts the conversation not at all. They just say, oh, that's nice, that's, that's great. Um, but for people who are not really active in churches, uh, it either ends it or, they, or suddenly there's like, some major question that they've got that they've got to ask. Um, but this one person I remember where they found out I was a minister and the next thing out of their mouth was, you know, I don't think it's right that churches are paid for by the government. <laughs> so I had to explain that that's not really how it works. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if someone had told them, like, there's tax breaks, you know, there's certain tax breaks for all charities, not just churches. Um, and then there's, uh, th there is a tax break on ministers' housing allowances as well. So, um, you know, there's a little bit of help there, but it's a real little bit. Like, the government is not paying to keep churches open. Uh, not in Canada. And, uh, and so I explained that they were actually kind of blown away that the people who come to the church are the ones who pay for the church to operate. But, but that's what it is, right? You support the ministry of the church. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning, is what it means to be givers within the church. It's your giving that does it. Uh, but your giving also is, is far more than simply paying the bills for an organization. It's also a spiritual discipline which it has spiritual results in you, and it also has spiritual results in others for the long term. And so we're going to look at this uh, part of 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is the, the writer, and he likens the money given for Christ's ministry. He likens it to seed that will grow, and there will be fruit from that giving, from the growth from the seed. And at the beginning of our reading today, um, which we may want to put on the screen, actually, if you can go back to the, uh, the beginning of the reading there. Paul essentially says, what will be a familiar phrase to lots of us, he essentially says, you reap what you sow. And this is familiar to us now. It was actually familiar to the people he was writing to. Paul didn't coin this phrase. You can find it in other Greek literature at the time. So it was well known, but he's using it in a particular way. And we have to kind of know the, the Corinthian context, or the context of what Paul was talking about, to, to get at this, uh, this idea of how he's using this common phrase. And so at, at this time, Paul, what he would do is he would travel around, to, and, and he helped establish churches in the ancient world. So there were people who had not yet even heard about Jesus. And he would establish those congregations, um, and he ended up, would, he would write to them. One of the things that he was encouraging those churches to do was to give money back to the church in Jerusalem. And what that money was, he will use different ways of talking about it. Sometimes he'll say it's the money for the saints. Sometimes he says it's the money for the poor. Um, and 
the, the money was likely had a couple of different uses. One was actually for the distribution to the poor in Jerusalem. But it also was likely used for the support of the ministry of the apostles. So the apostles, you know, started off as, you know, a bunch of them were fishermen and had other jobs as well. But that shifts to their, their primary job for a lot of them ends up becoming the ministry of the word of God in Jerusalem. And, you know, they might still go fishing, but that's not necessarily how they're making their major living anymore. And so this offering was, could have been used to support that ministry in Jerusalem. Um, Paul also believed that, um, based on prophecies in the Old Testament, that, that money was supposed to flow, or the riches of the world was supposed to flow to Jerusalem. And that when that happened, that was a sign of the return of Jesus Christ, or the return of the Messiah. So we can find prophecies that reflect this uh, in the Old Testament prophets. And so he was, in some ways, he had sort of a, there was a need of the poor and the ministry of the word in Jerusalem, but there's also this grander vision of, of, of a future that is, that is so far beyond that, and, and somehow that's connected to these gifts coming to Jerusalem from the nations. So he saw himself as contributing to that. And so it's in this context that he writes this section of 2 Corinthians and uses this saying, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Or if you want more common language, whatever you plant is going to affect whatever gets harvested. And he uses this as an image to talk about giving in the church or giving for the ministry of the church. And so here in this section he's saying that your gift, when you give something, that is seed. Your gift is not the harvest. And sometimes church leaders do a terrible job of this because sometimes we think the giving and the offering, that's the harvest, right? So we'll plant seeds in you, and we should encourage giving, and then, and then you give back to us. But actually, we are the church, and when we give, we're actually planting seeds for Christ's ministry. And what you give now will affect the resulting and future harvest. And so, if we can imagine a, a farmer, and uh, this farmer, it gets to be, uh, you know, April, and we know that there's got to be planting of seed that's going to have to happen. But the forecast is we're going to have a major blizzard in May. Oh, terrible. We don't want to think about that. Or the forecast is there's going to be worse flooding this year. Or the forecast is there's going to be scorching heat that follows. And they look at the summer and kind of the predictions for the summer is it's going to be a terrible summer. And so the farmer decides, no, well, let's just wait and see. And as it turns out, the things aren't quite as bad as what was predicted. And he waits and he sees, and suddenly it's July and he's planted no seed. And so there's no harvest that year. This is, I think, can be helpful. 
when we hold back or when we wait and see on our giving, then it delays the harvest or it makes it so that harvest is no longer possible. And this isn't really what we want in the context of the church or in the context of the ministry of Christ. What we plant now will affect the harvest next year or farther down the road. You reap what you sow. Right? You harvest what you plant. What will we harvest together next year? <coughs> what will the church harvest in 20 years? Or in 40 years? Or in 80 years? When most of us are gone. Probably all of us lying around when the kids are here. What we plant now will result in harvest in the ministry of Christ down the road. What other generations have planted in the past is resulting in a harvest that we can experience now. We would not be here as Prairie Presbyterian Church without people who had planted in the past. And it's not as simple as just saying, well, let's trace that back to the two congregations that, uh, that merged together to form Prairie. Because there's other people here who've come from other places, and someone planted something 100 years ago or 80 years ago that affected them, that then brought them to this place. This is how God's kingdom works. It's, not, uh, it's very difficult to track how Christ is working. And so what we plant now, there will be a harvest. It may not be exactly what we imagine it will be, but there will be a harvest for what we plant. So if we continue with this reading, and we'll look at the other verses, but we have to kind of have this context in mind. Verse 7, Paul talks about how each of you must give as you have made up your mind. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful gift, <coughs> as you have made up your mind. And now, what I think is really key in this little phrase is you actually have to think about it. And sometimes we don't think about what we give in the church. It's sort of, oh, the offering, the plate's coming around. Uh, you know, what, what am I going to do? Some of us are great planners, and some of us are not great planners. But here is encouragement from Paul and right in the Bible, you have to make up your mind. It's not, and it's not a weekly, every week kind of decision, well, am I going to give this week, or am I going to give, am I not? That's not what Paul's talking about. I, I think the New International Version maybe captures this better, and I'll read that to you, and also give you the King James Version, because they're kind of interesting. The New International Version says it this way, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. The King James, in its old language, and a little harder to understand, but is, is even getting closer to what the original text said. And the King James says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. Okay? So, but that's what the Greek word actually says. Is it, it's a Greek word that would mean like he is proposing. And... We don't really have a way to do that in English, but it's almost as though you're saying to your, like you're making a proposal to yourself of like, okay, let's see the financial proposal of what I can, what, what I'm going to give to the church and how I'm going to give to Christ's ministry. 
And then it's a matter of, okay, do I accept that proposal or am I going to change that proposal or am I going to reject that proposal? <coughs> this is the connotation in the Greek. It's very thoughtful. It's not just as simple as, you know, uh, make up your mind about it and do it. It's sort of uh, uh, taking a hard look at it. What am I going to give? And, and you do that in, uh, in full mind and not reluctantly or under compulsion. It's your own choice. It's nobody else's choice. not because the pastor said so. It's not because the church requires it. It's your own free choice. And Paul reminds us, for God loves a cheerful giver. And not God loves a guilty giver. Right? Give out of joy. And actually, the, the Greek for this word is great. It's the word hilaron, which we get the English word hilarious from. Like, it's the, like some translations might put it as more like gleeful. A gleeful giver. Like, joyful sounds like, yeah, I've got joy in my heart, but I can sort of be frowny about it. But, um, but gleeful or hilarious is like, ah, oh, this is great. And if you've ever seen some, certain churches in certain places in Africa, like, they, they're, the offering is like the big part of the service, and people are dancing up with their offering, and it's a big celebration in the middle of the service. I don't know if any of you have experienced that. Some of you have. We're not doing that today. Don't worry. <laughs> it's still going to be the, the plates coming to you. But that gives us a bit of a picture of what maybe Paul is talking about. There's a joy in giving. So if we continue, verse 8, God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. You'll, you'll sometimes hear, give as you are able. And that's true in a sense, but this verse doesn't really say that. It actually says, says, give as God is able to give to you. This doesn't talk about our ability at all. It talks about God is able to provide you with every blessing and abundance. So that if you're sufficient, then you can share abundantly in every good work. God is able. Give as God is able to give to you. Give as God is able to bless you. Verse 9 is a bit confusing. This is where it start, the, the rails might start to come off with Paul's nice run-on sentences in Greek that try to get translated into English. And um, it gets a little confusing. So he, he quotes a passage from uh, the Bible, from the Old Testament, quotes Psalm 112, verse 9. And it says, as it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Uh, how does this relate to anything? Well, if you go back and read Psalm 112, verse 9, uh, Paul was actually quoting uh, that psalm, but in our English translations, we get what Paul literally wrote as a quote. But if you go back and read it, the he in this, in this verse is actually not talking about God. Okay. So if you read all of Psalm 112, it starts off with, happy is the man who fears the Lord. And then it goes and talks about that man, or happy is the one that fears the Lord. So up-to-date translations will, will change some of the language so it's not all the male pronoun. Um, it will, so when you get down to this quote, if you go and read it in NRSV, it says, 
happy are those who fear the Lord, and it gets to this point, they have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Okay, so it gets a bit confusing because of how Paul quoted literally, and we're trying to translate from now two different languages, essentially. But what this is saying, and it then puts it in the right context, it's the one who gives freely, the one who gives to the poor, that person is a righteous person. And so this actually flows pretty naturally then from what Paul's argument is about. Because that's part of his collection, is for the poor in Jerusalem. The one who gives freely to that, the one who gives to the poor, that person is righteous, is his argument. He who supplies seed to the sower, which is now he's talking about God, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So what is that seed for sowing? And what is the harvest of your righteousness? Well, our, our giving is our seed, in, in Paul's metaphor. And this, this section here is teaching us that, that God is the one who provides that seed, right? He who supplies the seed to the sower, we're the sowers, we're the ones who are going to scatter the seed, and we're going to give. God provides it, and God multiplies it. The one who gives will also multiply your seed for sowing. So God's going to increase what is given, and he increases even the harvest, or the result of your righteousness. And here righteousness, I think, just means your right acts in giving freely. So the harvest of your righteousness just means sort of the harvest of your giving. And Paul continues to try to encourage the people to give. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. And, and maybe this a little bit better translation might be, uh, instead of in every way, to think of this as in all times, or in all things and at all times. So Paul is not trying to say, if you give, then you're going to get financially. Like, Paul's not saying that. And sometimes we can read this kind of verse and think, oh, enriched in every way. Okay. Well, does that mean if I give, you know, $100, then, you know, eventually God's going to reward me with $1,000. And there are some preachers who will give you that. But that's not what Paul is saying. At all. So what he's trying to say is that, that there is a reward for generosity from God, but there isn't a promise of monetary reward here. So when, when we start getting into that territory, it's what's called the prosperity gospel. That the gospel is really about if you give, then you will get. And that's operating on a financial level. But that's not here. What is here is that God is enriching you because of your generosity in giving. Okay, so you will be enriched in all things at all times. So you will be enriched in all situations. So in other words, no matter what, how you find yourself, no matter what situation you're in, as a generous person, God wants to enrich you. 
And if we read this through the lens of the prosperity gospel, we may as well just chop off the last part of the sentence because we don't need it anymore. But really, I think the weight of this is on the last part, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. I actually think that's where Paul is driving with all of this. If we say this is really about, well, if we give, then we're going to get back, we don't, who cares about thanksgiving of other people to God? The last phrase would kind of be a letdown and or not really that important. But here's the thing, when the, when the Corinthians, when they are enriched because of their generosity, what ends up happening is that Paul and the saints in Jerusalem, or the apostles in Jerusalem, they are so thankful for the Corinthians. Right? They're thankful for the funds that are given because they're really needed. It's needed for Christ's ministry. But there is something else that they're even more thankful for. They're thankful for the spiritual lives of the givers. They see the life of the cheerful giver as so rich, so much better. They see people who rely on God for provision, and they give thanks. They see people who, are, who, who let their money be in line with their true values as followers of Jesus, and they are thankful. See, this is the greater cause for thanksgiving. Because they see evidence of the love of God in Jesus Christ in them. This way of thinking actually makes verse 12 make a lot more sense. It continues through. Right? So it says, for the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Right, so when the rendering of this ministry is sort of a fancy way of saying, you know, once the money shows up in Jerusalem, once it all gets complete and done, it not only supplies the needs that are here, but there's this, there's this overflowing of thanksgiving to God. There's a whole spiritual side. And it's not just uh, the spiritual side of the givers, but it's the spiritual side of those who see that giving from afar. I think there's maybe two reasons to give, and the seed image, I think, works for both. The one is for the work of the ministry. So in Corinth, the, their giving supplied the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. So that's kind of like the, the seed that you plant through this giving, and, and it yields a harvest in the future. So there's the needs there, the gift is received, it's put into action and effect, and there's a harvest that God does something with it. But that's the first reason to give. It's for the work of ministry. The second reason is to practice the spiritual discipline of giving. Because as you give, God grows something inside you, and there will be results in you there's just true joy and generosity and giving. I'm reminded of a story, I think I shared this once, um, maybe last year, about uh, a couple who, uh, the, the woman worked for 
Uh, Dave Ramsey, I don't know if you've heard of Dave Ramsey. He's, uh, well, not this Dave Ramsey. There's another Dave Ramsey um, who is, uh, um, uh, teaches on financial management and, uh, and it's uh, sort of a Christian organization and so teaches in lots of churches about uh, finances and, uh, and has a big company that does this in, uh, down in the States. And this woman was working, I think, as a receptionist and one of the things they do in their company is profit sharing and they were doing very, very well, and so everyone, every month, gets a check um, in addition to their salary. Um, as, uh, you know, this is the way he structured his company, that every, everybody should share. If the company's doing well, everybody should share in that. And um, so they would get a check every month. And so when she first got hired, they got this check, and it was for something like over $500. Um, and, you know, it's a big company, and she's just a receptionist, so she's like, wow, like, this is amazing. And that remained pretty consistent, she said, for uh, most months she would get sort of in that range of money. And they, she sat with her husband and said, well, what are we going to do with this money? And what they decided to do was go out for breakfast and talk about it. So on the Friday they got the check and they went out for breakfast and as they were talking they thought, we should just tip our waitress the, the, the bonus. We should just give it away. And so every month, that's what they did, is they would find a different breakfast place and they would, uh, they would leave like a four or $500 tip to the waitress or the waiter. And they would leave it and then they would like run away as fast as they could because they, they, they weren't trying to take credit for anything. They were just like, let's get out of here. And they said as they were leaving, they were laughing to themselves. Like, it was like the secret, and it was like, they were having so much fun, and this is what Paul's talking about, right? The, the hilarious giving. They didn't need it, and they decided, maybe there's others who do. And uh, as the story got told, I think it was one of the first couple of times the, the waitress came out, she was about nine months pregnant, and they're thinking, if you're working at, as a waitress at nine months pregnant, you probably really need some extra money. Um, so they felt great about doing this. Now, I'm not suggesting that you necessarily do that thing, but it's just there to illustrate the joy in giving. And I wonder, like, what happened within that couple as they did that? Like, what happened within their spirits as they gave? Because I think we're changed when we do that when we give to others with no thought of return, or when we give to Christ's ministry, we're changed. But, but I think maybe what is even greater than just having this joy is that when we give and when we do that on a consistent basis, it grows our trust and dependence on God. It does that within us as individuals, but it also does that together as a community of faith. As we give to further the ministry of Christ, we must trust that God is going to make it work, both the ministry in the church, but also going to make our lives work. We have to trust that God is going to multiply our efforts, grow them, and God will bring about the harvest. We're not controlling 
whether that harvest comes next year or in 10 years or in 50 years, when we give with no thought of return to ourselves, we are trusting God with the harvest. But make no mistake, our giving now affects the future of Christ's ministry. It affects that. And it affects what our personal faith will be like. How we will trust in God. When we get our giving in line with our hearts and where we really want our hearts to be, it starts to affect our faith and build it and make it stronger. We need to keep that, that verse before us that encourages us to think carefully about what we give and to not do it under compulsion or out of feeling bad or anything like that, but to decide. Do we want to see the harvest that God will bring through our giving? If we keep our eyes on that and on Jesus Christ, and then the joy will come. The joy will come. Amen.